The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don Delorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Nothing too much. It's Thursday. We got a weekend of sports coming up. It's been a little minute, so let's get into it. I'm ready. All right. This is Know the Score being brought to you by the CSPN. You can find Know the Score on the web at cspn.us. You can also listen, download, and subscribe to Know the Score through Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and also YouTube. NFL action coming off of, I think that was week six that we just wrapped up. And it's more about the off the field news and the on the field news to start this week's episode of Another Score because I almost called them St. Louis, but the Los Angeles Rams, they were wheeling and dealing. They made a couple of trades. First, they traded Marcus Peters to the Ravens for a linebacker and a first round pick. And then they turned around and used that first-round pick and another first-round pick to trade for disgruntled cornerback Jalen Ramsey of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So Aqib Tlaib went on IR after this Sunday's game, after their loss to the 49ers. Peters has been getting toasted. So they've basically had to overhaul their cornerback situation here in the middle of the season. What does the outlook of Jalen Ramsey coming over to the Rams mean? Does it actually improve them or do you see him not being able to make that big of an impact coming in? Haven't played for about a month due to back injury and uh, discontent with the Jaguars. I think it was more discontent than injury, you know, so, I mean, if he was hurt, he was hurt, that's one thing, but you know, most people use the injury as a cover for discontent, so a healthy Jalen Ramsey is an effective Jalen Ramsey, and with Marcus Peters being a defensive liability, it's kind of a concern there, but, you know, it's one of those risk rewards that the Ravens are willing to take on, for the simple fact that, hey, they are, they are what Peters can do in production early on in the tenure with the team has been great. I mean, we saw the run he had in Kansas City. He had a decent run to start off with with the Rams, but I think he gets complacent very easily. But back to Jalen Ramsey, though, you pair him up with uh, Roby Coleman. On the other side, and, you know, I, I think it evens out. It might, it might help the Rams just a little bit more, but nothing significant, especially with Tlaib going down with his injury and being put on the IR. So, But these are some moves that 
the Rams really kind of needed to make, um, try to plug the leak in the secondary, the leak being Marcus Peters, because you got um, Joyner and Johnson. Well, you got, um, not Joyner, but you got John Johnson and, uh, as a safety, and I forgot who their free safety is. So there are some effectiveness in the secondary. I think Jalen Ramsey can improve it a little bit, but we would have to see how that goes, especially if he magically ends up being healthy and plays on Sunday. We'll just run through some of the on-field action, and then we'll go back and talk about some things to set out to you. The Jets, they get an upset win over the Dallas Cowboys 24-22 in the return of Sam Darnold to the field. The Seahawks, they continue to roll with the win on the road versus the Browns. The Texans, they hand the Chiefs their second straight home loss, 31-24. The 49ers, their defense dismantles the Rams' offense and a 20-7 win. Jarrett Goff stats, 13-24 for for 78 yards. The Steelers, behind their third-string quarterback, upset the Chargers on the road, 24-17. The Panthers, they win their fourth straight game led by Kyle Allen and seven turnovers created by the defense. And the Washington football team gets their first win versus Miami after they fired Jay Gruden and an 0-5 start. So some things that stood out to you in week six of the NFL, Libra Icon. Uh, some things that stood out. I mean, the the Jets win over Dallas. I I noticed something was going to be up when the Jets wore their home whites in October and <laughs> forced Dallas to wear those uh, quote-unquote bad luck blues. And Sam Darnold came back, very effective. Robbie Anderson had a monster game as well. I wish I would have played him on my fantasy team. Um he was sitting in the bench looking at me while Amari Cooper struggled. Um, another thing that stood out to me this week, uh, Kyle Allen playing very well for Carolina. I mean, he's hasn't thrown any interceptions. Uh, he's taking care of the ball. The Panthers defense made Jameis Winston, that we all know and love or hate, <laughs> return with all the turnover problems and and everything there. I would also say that, you know, keep the hot hand in the game until QB1 is at 100% Cam Newton. Uh, but even if he is still winning, you know, it is also due to the fact that with the West Coast offense, he's doing exactly what he needs to do. And Kirsten McCaffrey's emergence has really helped that out as well. So, you know, right now, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But we should see how that does go. Um, I just hope he doesn't get a case of, like, looking over the shoulder constantly, you know, in the event that he ends up staying as a starter. He just keeps focusing on what he needs to do. Um uh, great job by, I think, Derek, Terry McLaurin in Washington. That's a star in the making right there. And, and uh, you know, Court, 
you play who's on the schedule. So Washington did what they needed to do. They beat Miami. Um, Thanks to Miami, though, because uh, <laughs> they 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 didn't try to win the game for three quarters. In the fourth quarter, they tried to win the game because they put in Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick does what Fitzpatrick does, especially against that secondary and that defense. He came in through for like 150 yards in the fourth quarter alone. Goes down and orchestrates two touchdown drives. Comes down to a two-point conversion. They're going to throw like a little quick pass out to like the running back, and he's going to run like a little two-yard screen and get it in. But they ran it with a player that they haven't ran to play with all week. So they kind of like threw the game in unintentionally, intentionally. And so that's how we survived not losing to Miami. <laughs> it was bad. Who was a starter in that game? Rosen. Case Keenum. He it could have been a it could have been a, a bigger lead. It was seventeen to three, but it could have been a much better, a much greater lead if Case Keenum wasn't so scattershot. Oh my gosh. Just overthrowing guys, underthrowing guys over their head, like wide open, like move the chain type passes, like you know, second and nine, and the dude's open at eleven, and you throw it over his head. Like, come on, man! You think he's had a complex since he left Minnesota, either leading them to there and then pretty much getting shunned out? No, he's just not an accurate quarterback. It's just that's just who you are. Now, sometimes you can get in an offense that realizes, oh, guess what? He's his most accurate if he throws the ball 15 to 17 yards down the field. Then they kind of devise the offense up that way, and then that can, you know, work to your strengths. But if you're going to be in this West Coast-type offense, you really need to be accurate in between like 12 and eight yards. That's really where the, a lot of those quarterbacks make their money. You know, they're, they're not really throwing the ball that far deep. You know, they don't throw too many 15 yard dig routes or 20, you know, 15 yard comebacks or anything like that. Those real old school NFL throws. That's yeah. where you got to be your best at. And he's just not good right there. And it's just like, uh, so that's why the game was so close. Adrian Peterson had over 100 yards rushing. He had like 20, over 20 attempts at rushing. He just didn't score a touchdown because they botched that up. Because they – don't get me started. <laughs> Everybody knows that when you run on first and – like first and go at like the one, you run on first down, and then when you don't get it, you play action fake on second down because only – Bad things can happen. They're going to stop you for a loss, or you're going to end up fumbling the ball. And they ended up fumbling the ball, and so then they made it third and goal from, like, the three, and they didn't get it had to kick a field goal. Mm-hmm. But if you just, 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 uh, Sorry. It's just a Sunday watching a bad <laughs> team that doesn't want to rebuild and doesn't understand that it's time to rebuild, even though maybe – there might be some light at the end of the tunnel because the reports are the Browns are interested in Trent Williams. They've been interested in Trent Williams, but it's getting to that point where they're starting to be really bad on the offensive line. They got to do something. So maybe they'll come up to the Redskins asking price and they'll trade them, which will be the first start of the rebuild. 
that really needs to go down. Free Trent Williams. Trade Ryan Kerrigan. Cut Josh Norman. Um, start the kid uh, and see what he's got because if he doesn't have anything or you don't think you're going to got anything that's workable for the next coach or Kevin McConnell or whoever's going to come in, then you got to act now because you got to have foresight because you won't have a chance to draft a, a draft with this many quarterbacks in it. I'm not saying they're all going to be good, but it's so many that your odds are you won't get the bad one if you pick whether, you know, they're going to finish this year with three or four wins. It's like six quarterbacks, eight quarterbacks that people are talking about for the draft. So it will be interesting to see how they finish the season. Bill Callahan is supposed to be bringing some more discipline. Everybody's talking about how Jay Gruden ran the kind of loose shit players type coach and they weren't as disciplined and things weren't as tough as they maybe could have been. And so, you know, Bill Callahan is supposed to be bringing some old schoolness into the practices and into the building. So we'll see how they finish up. The end of the oh. season, but yeah, it was a uh, it was very fortunate uh, that they did not get beat by Miami. I have issues with the Chargers right now. One of my Short Super Chargers. Bowl picks that I picked for the Super Bowl this year. And uh, how you doing in that game of Madden? By the way, are you winning? Uh, I'm not. That's zero zero. Oh, okay, who you play with? I got the Texans right now. Try to just do a bomb from Watson to Hopkins. Yeah, you got to run the ball first, man. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the Steelers, man, they went in with their third-string quarterback. They upset the Chargers. I mean, Chargers doing what the Chargers do, get down 17 nothing before they even begin to start looking like they're interested in playing. I mean, I understand that when they travel on the road to the East Coast, but this is at home on Sunday night. There's no excuse, especially against the team starting, uh, the, you know, quarterback in his very first start in the NFL. Uh, but still, yeah, they had a really good game plan, though. They they relied on James Conner. They didn't really ask the kid to throw the ball to the outside receivers that much. Uh, when they did, it was, you know, real clear one-on-one situations. But James Conner was the star of this game. He uh, scored three touchdowns, and the defense harassed the Chargers in the first half, kept them scoreless. And then, you know, Phillip Rivers tries to do what he does in the second half, make a late charge, but didn't work this time. Yeah, with the Chargers are, like, one of the most frustrating teams, especially in the Phillip Rivers era. Um it's like you said, they they don't wake up until it's like, oh, wait, we need to play football with, like, three minutes left and we're down by 21 or 17 or whatever. It's a three-score game, and let's wake up and try to play football. And, and it's very maddening because this team, like you said, this was your Super Bowl pick. This team is very talented and has a shot to make the Super Bowl, but they get in their own way each and every single time. And for, and I know people saying the others going to be like, well, that's not our problem anymore. I'm kind of glad that it isn't our problem anymore. So it's definitely one of those things where 
San Diego is, I mean, man, I have San Diego in the brain. Uh, the LA, these, these LA Chargers really need to do some soul searching if they really want to be like true Super Bowl contenders and not the pretenders that they've been for the past decade and a half. We'll wrap up this week by talking about two teams out west in the NFC, the Seahawks and the 49ers. Uh, the Seahawks, 5-1, and 49ers undefeated at 5-0. and I think everybody kind of figured the Seahawks may be decent this year. I don't think they thought 5-1. and Nobody expected the 49ers to be 5-0. and But uh, first we'll start with Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. Uh, the defense is young and has its ups and downs, but Russell Wilson is putting up points and coming through in the clutch. Another comfort behind victory against the Browns uh, last Sunday. I think that it's Christian McCaffrey one, Russell Wilson two for MVP voting right now. Uh, do you see that as well? And just your thoughts on Russell Wilson uh, continuing to lead the Seahawks to wins and uh, keeping them right in the mix of one of the best teams in the league right now. I would have to put Russell Wilson at number one just for the simple fact that the way he's been doing it, it has been with his arm a lot more than his than his legs. I mean, he still has the ability to scramble and has the escapability, but his arm has really been the key, the accurate passes, uh, short passes, intermediate, long passes. Uh, he's done every single thing that you ask. And, you know, being a Panthers fan, you would expect me to probably say, McCaffrey at number one, and the tear that he's been on has been really great, too. But I've really admired the way that Wilson has got the ball down the field, and and right now the Seahawks do have the better record at the moment. So I would have to just put him out over, over uh, CMC for the moment. But I think the fact that he's done well, the defense has played well, I mean, we really – thought that, you know, the Seahawks defense would go to Pooh when the Legion of Boom era was over with, but they've really retooled and they've really rallied around Wagner Wright um, and among others. So, uh, and Clowney, Clowney addition has been really good for them as well. So, Seahawks have really played well. They've they got. They've escaped a couple games. The Rams game they escaped. Um, uh, the Cleveland game this week they escaped as well. So, um, you know, gotta have a little bit of luck in order, along with the skills that you do have, in order to be real successful. So, uh, shout out to the Seahawks for that. And the San Francisco 49ers behind the two things that most football people say. Never get out, go out of style. Defense and running game are five and zero. They, in three short years, have gone from you know the bottom of the bunch in the NFC West to now leading the division with this impressive win over the Rams on the road. Like I said, their defense was suffocating, holding Jared Goff to less than eighty yards passing. 
Todd Gurley did not play in that game. But if you watched the game and saw how fierce and how quick their defensive line is, I don't think it really would have mattered. So San Francisco really hasn't, um, you know, gotten the play I think they would expect from Jimmy Garoppolo. He's been inconsistent at best. I think most of their uh, people would say uh, coming off a knee injury and still as a young quarterback at that. I think he just started like his 16th or 17th game uh, this past week. So what do you see the future for the 49ers? Are they just a, a team that's, you know, getting better and learning how to win? And now they're, you know, at 6-0, they're getting confidence too and that this could be something that, that starts going downhill and they could be the next big thing in football? I read an article before the season started, basically how the 49ers don't have this belief that they were this good already before the season started. And that belief has translated onto the field. And like you said, it's been their defense. It's been their running game. And, you know, if Jimmy G can get more consistency, is as a starting quarterback, then this team would definitely be very hard to stop. And and even uh, even though even Jimmy said that I I do have to be better, you know, and, and all things considered, what he went through with that injury, and then but it also sort of gave him a lot more time to study like various film and things of that sort, how to improve. Even though there's not that much bodies of work, but there's enough where you, you can say, hey, I need to do better with this, or hey, we need to work on that. And he, one can only hope that he's doing that now. But um, I definitely think that I definitely think that this uh, 49ers team, they've been a pleasant surprise. It's one of those franchises that you want to be good all the time because it just makes for better uh, drama. I mean, who remembers the the rivalries between the, the rivalry games in the postseason with the Cowboys and the 49ers or 49ers and Packers or – Anything of that sort. I mean, look what we have now, as you see on the screen. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But I want to say that with the 49ers, they they have great play in the secondary. Richard Sherman, uh, Adrian Colbert, thing, and then their line, uh, Buckner, uh, Solomon Thomas, Sheldon Day, um, those guys have really get been great for this team. So can they sustain it? We shall see. I think they have the capability because defense is going to be really paramount as the season goes forward. So, And Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, they've done a great job getting this team to where they f- feel like they should be in. We can only see if the glory is coming back to the north, north, northern California. 
All right, so we're going to shift over to talk about some playoff baseball over in the MLB. The Yankees, they swept the Twins, and the Astros defeated the Delta Rays in five games to advance to the American League Championship Series. Over in the National League, the Cardinals scored a record 10 runs in the top of the first inning to beat the Braves uh, in Game 5. And the Nationals upset the Dodgers in Game 5 to set up the NLCS. Well, the Washington Nationals, they swept the Cardinals and they're on their way to the first World Series in franchise history. Uh, the pitching in this uh, series was phenomenal. Washington uh, carried two no-hitters in the first two games past the sixth inning. Um, just fantastic. And Howie Kendrick came alive and their bats came alive. I think they scored five runs or more in every game of the series, which was amazing. Uh, so congrats to the Nationals. And Ron Zimmerman, very first National ever selected. He's still with the team, and so he gets to play in the World Series. So it's awesome for him. And the Astros, right now, they lead the American League Championship Series 2-1. to one. Uh, They've had some impressive uh, bats, and they actually won on a walk-off, and then they won 4-1 in Game 3. Garrett Cole pitched in Game 3. He has just been unbeatable. I think he hadn't lost a game since, like, July or June, somewhere back then. It's been, like, three or four months or more since he's lost a baseball game. So he has just been phenomenal, and he keeps that up. So this, I expect this series to go at least six games. Um, it's just going to be uh, who has enough bullpen because, you know, these teams are notorious for taking the pitchers, starting pitchers into high pitch counts and getting into the bullpen early and then doing damage from there. So it'll just be a uh, who has the better bullpen, who has the better, who starting pitching can go the farthest, who can get seven innings out of their starting pitching. That'll probably be the team that wins the series or the game more often than not. Dwayne, your thoughts on the Nationals, fellow National League East team representing the National League in this year's World Series. Boo! There we go. That's one of them. They were 19-31, and 31, man, and they turned the corner. Uh, uh, boo! Yeah, I... I <sighs> it pains me to say congratulations to the Nationals. It really does. But they definitely played great baseball. I think the Cardinals wasted all their runs on the Braves in that game five. And they just had nothing left at the end. And Washington surged. They've been surging at the right time, but, you know, I hope the Astros win because they really all I got left because this is going to be, if the Yankees end up coming back and winning, it's going to be 2009 all over again, where, and then at least rival against the Yankees and some Mets fans' worst nightmare, so, <laughs> uh, yeah. There's there's great stories here, and you know for the Nationals fans, and I know plenty of them. You know this is very 
it's been a long wait for them and you know for them i'm happy for you know because they've been through a lot uh you know we used to basically be like three things guaranteed in life death taxes and a washington nationals playoff exit and we can kind of change that to death taxes and playoff kershaw and But I'll be rooting for the Astros here, hoping that they can restore some order in this baseball universe. How do you see that series playing out? Do you see it the same way I do, that uh, whoever has a better bullpen is probably going to win? Whoever has the better bullpen and whoever has enough left because, because of that weather postponement, they lose their travel day. So because they lose their travel day, these teams are like they may be playing four games in four days. So unless you know, because the Nationals ended things early, unless they can push uh, game six and seven in Houston back, we could be looking at you know four straight games of baseball, and whoever has anything left in the tank would be the winner. Essentially, you brought up Clayton Kershaw. He was once again the GOAT as the Dodgers come up well short of their goals and expectations. Uh, the best team in the National League all season didn't make it out of the divisional round. Where did the Dodgers go from here? Where does Clayton Kershaw go from here? as this has been about a six-year run now of them uh, coming up with playoff failures and him being squarely in the crosshairs of a lot of things that have gone bad and gone wrong for them during this run. I think what happened with the Kershaw situation is that uh, Dave Roberts made a – Dave Roberts made a decision off motion versus his strategy. And it was the wrong decision. And I was just really shocked at the fact that what's the word I'm looking for? I was really shocked at the fact that the way like I I could tell when I was looking back on it, I could tell that Kershaw's eyes he just did not have his he did not have it at all. And then next thing you know, he's not only giving up one home run, he's giving up two. And then the floodgates just open from there. And I'm just trying to, I can't even wrap my head around it. And I'll, you know, where the Dodgers went wrong, you know, you have, you have one of the game's greatest, uh, that's the word, you have the game's greatest one of the game's greatest pitchers, and he wasn't even the best pitcher on 
on this team this season, you know, you could have went, if you're Dave Roberts, you could have went in so many different directions. You could have, if you want to pull somebody to, um, from the rotation to be your pen, you could have put in Rue. You could have put in Bueller, depending on if Bueller was going to start game one in the LCS for you. And so many bad situations and decisions just were not the best idea. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, where they go uh, in the offseason. Coming back, uh, if they're going to try to make some trades and shake up some things, just change the tone of the team in general just because of, you know, the failures that they've had. And, uh, you know, at least Clayton Kershaw is not afraid to take the ball in the moment. He just hasn't been able to come through a lot of times in those moments. And that, unfortunately, will probably be his legacy if he doesn't ever get on to a team that wins the World Series or the Dodgers, you know, finally break through, which would be unfortunate because he's done so many great things and been so dominant in the regular season. But, you know, legends are made in the postseason and he's not quite there yet. And he hasn't been there at all uh, in a, for a very long time. But I agree with that, you know. It, he's at a, it's going to be a lot of soul searching for the Dodgers. I mean, and now with the Angels essentially hiring, going back in time to their to the blast from the past and hiring Joe Madden as their manager. Um, you know, they may not be the only team on the freeway that's gonna need a, a need a new um, look, so this is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host, the Leaper icon, Dwayne. Now we're about to shift over to some college football, our final segment here on this week's show. The Gamecocks of South Carolina. They went down between the hedges and they upset number three, Georgia, 20-17, to 17, two overtimes. Uh, Georgia's kicker just could not make any field goals on uh, on his home field. And that definitely helped South Carolina stay in the game and ultimately pull this upset. So kudos to South Carolina going down there to Georgia and getting that big win. This uh, almost eliminates Georgia from being able to make it to the playoffs. They would need everybody to lose a game that's in front of them, like everybody in the top five. And if you've seen Clemson's schedule, I don't think that's going to happen. So it's going to be tough for Georgia to get back into the into the mix. But on Saturday, when you saw this going down, uh, what were your initial thoughts? And could you believe that Georgia let one get away at home? I should say I was pretty shocked by UGA's uh, inability to close this game out. And, you know... Part of it was like, is Mark Rick, is the ghost of Mark Rick still haunting, haunting Sanford Stadium? Because there's just no reason why they should not have 
gave South Carolina the game, and they literally did give them the game. And so, um, with that being said, is am I shocked about it? No. Am I shocked about it? Yes, because it was a home game. I I think that's part of the I think that's part of the more amazing part that it was in it was in um Athens versus Columbia. So um I don't know what was going on with the kicking game for UGA, but uh this is something that definitely needs to be worked on. I hope he I hope he um got to classes okay or if he stayed home and took a while line. So uh yeah, that's pretty much how I saw it. Uh, hopefully, when uh, they get back to the field, they can put what's behind them, behind them, and then just move on forward. Other big news from college football world this past weekend: LSU behind quarterback Joe Burrow. They beat Florida. <laughs> They moved from number five to number two in the polls, Wisconsin. They had another statement win as they beat Michigan State 38 to nothing. Oklahoma, they defeated Texas 34 to 27 in the Cotton Bowl, the Texas State Fair. Uh, tradition pageantry, Jalen Hurts' first time in the, uh, in the Red River rivalry, and uh, he didn't have one of his better games, but Texas found a way to pull it out. C.D. Lamb was actually the star in this game. But I think everybody will leave the weekend and head into this weekend talking about LSU. It looks like they found a quarterback. It looks like they've got a modern offense to finally go with a defense that's always been one of the best in the country. So this transformation of LSU uh, this season is this the year where LSU is the second team in the playoff and not Georgia or Alabama for that instance? Based on the way they've been playing and based on the, you know, rising to number two, I think they can definitely get there. They will have to meet Alabama, obviously. They will have to... That's the word I'm looking for. You'll, yeah, you'll have to see Alabama. You'll have to see. Uh, I was going to do this. Is Georgia or not? Not sure. They play Auburn. I know they play Auburn. Yeah, they play Auburn. Yeah, Auburn, uh, Alabama. So there are a lot of a lot of things at stake here. So um, as a matter of fact, let me. Uh, Check this out real quick because uh, I want to look at who they have coming up. Because, yeah, like I said, you got Alabama, Auburn, and there's no reason why I don't see them not being number two. Uh, they especially if they beat Alabama, if they beat Alabama, they're definitely a lot. They got Mississippi State this Saturday. And then Auburn the week after. So that Auburn game is going to be huge on uh, October 26th. 
Uh, they're off on November 2nd, and then November 9th, they go to Tuscaloosa to take on Alabama. Yeah, so that's, that'll be uh, one of the showdown games if they can get past Auburn. But if they can get past Auburn and uh, Ohio State has a slip-up, or even if Ohio State doesn't just with the quality of wins, when they go play Alabama on November 9th, LSU could be number one if they're undefeated because that would have been a, a quality of win. And by that time, that playoff schedule comes out where you know they take into consideration who you beat and how you beat them and all that good stuff. So. Ohio State, let's give them some love. Um, they didn't play uh, a really a, a national game this week, but they are just doing what they're supposed to do. They're winning. Uh, Fields is looking good. Their defense, Chase Taylor, looks like a person that I want to watch the football team to draft. Um, he, he, he's, you know, they put out a good track record here the past uh, three out of four years with the two Bosa brothers, and now it looks like Chase Young. So, Ohio State defensively, uh, you know, producing some guys that are getting after quarterback and making a difference in the NFL. Um, they're just really well coached, and, uh, you know, they've met every test with flying colors, but it'll see. Uh, be interesting to see once the schedule gets a little bit harder in the second half of the season uh, what they come up with and if they can remain undefeated. Some of the top matchups for this weekend, top 25, we're going to have Oregon. They're going to face off against Washington. Arizona State, the Fighting Herms, uh, they beat Washington. They have got they beat Michigan State. They've actually had a, a bunch of good wins this year. Uh, they're going to face off against Utah and probably the biggest game of the weekend with the most notoriety. Penn State is going to go up to the big house to play Michigan. Penn State's been really impressive their last three wins. Uh, they've been really uh, had some offensive explosions. Uh, Michigan's been kind of a mixed bag. Uh, they barely beat Army. They exploded against Rutgers, and they struggled in their last game offensively. So it will be interesting to see which Michigan offense shows up. Their defense is very good, but they're not getting any support week in and week out from the other side of the ball. Shay Patterson's not doing the job. I don't know, man. It's, you know, Harbaugh's offense was pretty good when he was at the 49ers. It was really good when he was at San Diego State. It was really good when he was at Stanford. Uh, it was okay when they first got here to Michigan, but I don't know if he's kind of trapped in between doing his traditional two tight end, heavy formation football and trying to kind of play in the dual quarterback landscape too. I think you might need to just kind of settle on one or the other and stop trying to blend them and see what happens. Because I think right now I just think they're trying to do too much. Yeah, I agree because this team came in with such high hopes and you know, a lot of these and this has really been the refrain for the last six years. Yep, so that's what Michigan is. This is a, a big part of their season right here. If they can uh, get this win, uh, they can still uh, kind of have some faint hopes of, uh, you know, having a, a really, really, really successful season. One loss, and you know, they can put them in the mix of an outside chance at the playoff. But 
it's going to be hard if they if they uh, drop this game to Penn State. So I'll be looking forward to see what Michigan can bring to the table against Penn State this week. At this point, Dwayne, I'm going to turn it over to you, buddy, for your shout-outs and thank yous. All right. Shout-out to you, Don. Thank you for allowing me to be your co-host for this show. I enjoy it all the time. Um, also, thank you also for uh, bringing our, my new podcast, Heal Heat, to the CSPN. Uh, be sure to check that out. Um then today is a special day because uh, I want to shout out to my parents because 35 years ago I was brought into this world. So um, as we record this, so uh, happy birthday to uh, Classic as well, my birthday twin, and definitely um, glad to be a part of this uh it's been a long journey for me a long personal journey uh haven't really been the best of the best person the best friend the best anything you name it i probably haven't been the best at it but i have spent the last few years getting myself back on track and i'm doing things that i love including this podcast so um really want to thank you Thank everybody. Thank you for the opportunity. And it really means a lot to me. Um, finally, my final thought, uh, Patrick Marlowe returns to San Jose after the Sharks were starting off 0-4. Uh, Marlowe comes back home. Uh, he was drafted by the Sharks in 97, left after 20 years. He played two seasons in Toronto with the Maple Leafs, got bought out by... Carolina after he got traded to the Hurricanes. Uh, basically, Marlowe was not going to sign anywhere else but San Jose. And at the time, the Sharks really weren't interested. But as they hit the gates with a stumbling start, they reached out to they reached out to um, Marlowe. Marlowe comes in. And the Sharks have won three straight, including the 5-2 win over the aforementioned Hurricanes. So, uh, looks like I'm going to be stressing over hockey all season long, so I can't wait for that. Uh, but great job. Welcome back, Marlo, uh, to basically welcome back home. And he's definitely going to be retiring as a Shark uh, when that time comes. Happy birthday wishes to you, Dwayne, from everyone here on the CSPN. Congratulations on the debut of the Heel Heat podcast here on the CSPN as well. So you can check Dwayne out there uh, with his co-host, Sean. Um, if you're fans of the WrestleCast, uh, that will be showing up in your feed for a couple of weeks or at least a week or so until uh, the iTunes picks up the Heel Heat podcast and then they'll have their own feed. So please check them out, support them, give them feedback, interact, rate and review, do all the good things that you normally would for all the other podcasts here on the CSPN. Uh, give a shout out to everybody that listens. Please support the podcast by supporting our sponsors over on the CSPN.us. Click our tab that says keep our podcast free at the top of the page. Do some shopping with Amazon. Some of your purchase will come back to the CSPN to help keep the podcast free. Also, you can support the show and the uh, network by 
becoming a patron over on our Patreon page. We have a $1 tier, a $3 tier, and a $5 tier. Uh, if you do sign up at the 3 and $5 tier, you do gain access to exclusive content that's only on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash CSPN media to sign up. Like I said, $3 and $5 tiers, you gain exclusive con- access to exclusive content only found on the Patreon page. My final thought will be to the young guns in NASCAR. Uh, We're in the playoffs of NASCAR and the last three winners have all been quote unquote, the young guns. We had Chase Elliott win at the Roval. Then we had Kyle Larson. He won at Dover. And then this past week we had Ryan Blaney outlast all the carnage and win at Talladega. It's definitely the boost that NASCAR needs. These are the guys who are going to take the sport along in the next decade to 15 years. And it's good that they're starting to win and get their faces more known and more visible to the fans of NASCAR and maybe sporting fans in general, because one of these guys might have the charisma and the ability to take NASCAR to the highest that Jeb Gordon did with as far as popularity goes. So anytime that they can be the focal point of the NASCAR talk and of the NASCAR season, I feel it's a big plus, Uh, you know, no disrespect to uh, Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick and kind of that old guard of guys that have been the standard. But, uh, you know, it's time for some of these young guys to start coming up and making some noise. And if one of these young guys can win the championship this year, that will definitely serve as a big boost uh, going forward for NASCAR in the next couple of years where one of those young guys will be the actual face going into a season and not just be the potential. Uh, It'll actually be some proven commodity there. And I think that will definitely set NASCAR on a different course than it has been. It's been trending upward as far as attendance and people watching, but they just need that one transcendent young star to get everybody behind. And then I think they will start reaching the places that they were, um, you know, almost 20 years ago. So good luck to the young guys going forward in the playoffs. And uh, we'll see who comes out victorious in about – Another, uh, I think it's about another six weeks, and then they'll have the championship race, or five weeks, and they'll have the championship race, which is always exciting. So, for my co-host, the Libra Icon, I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.